started singing over this lost man. And I just sat there in awe. I was in school. Now, I want you to know, I'll pray for you any day, but don't, I, you don't want me to sing over you. But I will tell you, what I saw is a heart of a pastor that cared so much for the lost. Our team saw that. Our team saw that very clearly. And what we saw was a church that were filled with new believers, and we saw leaders that weren't just talking about evangelism. In fact, they might not even know what that word is. They were just doing it. They were just living it out in their everyday life, and they were inviting people to come and be a part of their worship service. And when they came to worship, please believe me that when they worship, they, when they came together, they did what they did best, and that was to turn to God and to worship with all of their hearts. And when they saw the words that were on the screen, they just didn't sit there and read them in silence. They sang every word as if it was a morsel in a spiritual meal that they needed to devour because they had to get through the rest of a week in a Muslim world. And as we sat there and we watched this, it struck me, it struck my team. They worship and they live this so passionately. But why? And this is what struck us. They worship so passionately because they've come to the conclusion that Christ is the only solution that could save them out of the dark world of Islam. And what I realize is, and what they realize is that if Christ is the only solution, then he becomes your everything. He is your lifeline. He is your life support system. And I wanted to encourage us as a body this morning, and I wanted us to ask this very question. Mission View, is Jesus your everything? I'm not asking if Pastor Steve or Pastor Brian or any other elder or deacon is your everything. I'm not asking that question. I'm asking, is Jesus your everything? Because if Jesus becomes your everything, it will affect every aspect of your life. You will look at people that are lost in a different way. You will begin to worship when we gather together and you will engage into every word that's on the screen as if it is a morsel in a spiritual meal for yourself. You will look and live out your faith in a different way. No matter what your circumstances are in life is Christ your everything today as we continue on in Proverbs I don't want us just to open up the Bible and write down 10 more principles and just go close our Bibles and go on from life let's look at these principles and say what is it that I need to apply in my life and how do I need align myself in God's word every one of you if you've gotten a note uh, a bulletin there's places to take note I would encourage you to write down cross references that I'll give because I want us to have God be our life coach today God is doing life coaching for you and I 
We started 30 principles last week. We covered 10 last week. I want you to know I almost owed every single person a meal, so I'm not going to make that deal this week, but uh, I would have taken you to Taco Bell for one taco. Um, th that would have been your meal. But uh, we're going to continue on with 10 more life coaching principles today. And today we're going to cover, a again, a large variety of topics. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about conduct. We're going to talk about pursuing the right things in life. Let's ask God to use our time together. Dear Heavenly Father, you know where each of us are coming from. You know our heart condition. You know where we are in life. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be firmly fixed upon you in this life, and I pray that we would hear from you even today. Lord, would you encourage us in the areas that we need to be encouraged in? Would you motivate us and convict us in areas that we need conviction in? And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Truth number 11 is found in Proverbs 23, verse 12. And this truth is a great truth to start with, and it is this. Determine to learn God's word. Determine to learn God's word. Take a look at verse 12. Solomon and the wise men who wrote these 30 wise sayings said this. Apply your hearts to instruction. Apply your hearts to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Now the phrase apply your heart suggests an idea of diligence and appetite for instruction. You want to be instructed. It also says apply your ears. It implies, it shows that we are to pay close attention to what God is saying. Now men, I believe we hear the same kind of instructions on a regular basis from our wives when they say, listen to us. You know the situation. Your wife is waxing on and on and on about everything, about anything really. And you sit there and you say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. While you're watching TV or you're reading or you're tinkering around in the workroom and you know that you're not paying attention. Now, the fact is, we've tuned her out. But if all of a sudden our wives said, hey, baby, come here. All of a sudden, our ears perk up like a hound dog on the hunt day. I mean, we are ready to go. Why is it? It's because of desire and appetite. See, what Solomon's trying to do is get us as believers to have an appetite and a desire for God. Why? It is the only way in which we are going to learn God's heart. And therefore, we can live out God's heart in our life. Young people, do you want direction in your life? Then listen to God. Study God. New parents, do you want to be able to be godly moms and dads for your kids as you raise them? Listen to God. Hear his instruction. Old parents, do you want the wisdom to help navigate your kids through the tough teen years and the decisions and all the things that go with it? Listen to God. Old parents, old people, do you want to leave a legacy behind that others will follow? Then listen to God. 
I believe that we have to be determined to learn God's word. And that, that means that we need to spend time in God's word. I have a little devotional booklet that I use periodically. I haven't used it in a long time, but I've decided to go through it again. And it gives you a little scripture, gives me questions to think about. These aids are out there. I went this week and I uh, pillaged Maranatha Bible Church. You'll see a gift to you from Maranatha. I did it with permission. Don't worry. These are all daily bread devotionals. I have put them out on the Welcome Center. If you've never had a quiet time, this is a great place to at least start because we have to seek after God. Let's go to principle number 12. Principle number 12 goes into the realm of parenting, and this principle is this. Spank your children. Spank your children. Not a popular thing today, but spank your children. Listen to what he says. Do not hold, withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, guess what? He will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. That's another way of saying hell. Now, I want you to see that spanking our children is a law from heaven. It's not given as an option. It's not a suggestion, nor is it a theory. Now, what Solomon does here is he does a play on words by saying not only will the child survive the spanking, but he will survive because of the spanking. And yet we live in a world that would say if you spank your children, that is considered child abuse. I went online this week to get advice from the Internet, as a lot of us do, to find out what it says about spanking your children. One of the reports of many said this. This was the shortest one. This was from ABC News report. It said this, spanking children under the age of two puts those children in a higher risk group for behavioral problems later, said Eric P. Slade, an assistant professor at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of blah, blah, blah. And so here we have this advice from an expert. They got to be right. So therefore, I should never spank my children. Here's what we need to determine. You need to determine which expert you're going to listen to. Will you listen to the expert from John Hopkins University, or will you listen to the expert that actually created the expert? Who will you listen to? Now, please understand, God is not advocating that we ever abuse our children, and we need to use discernment in how to best discipline our children because we need to always do it in love. I want to give just some practical things that Lee and I have done at this stage in life. We look back and we say this worked successfully. And honestly, most of our discipline took place between the, uh, was completed by the age of five. And I believe that can be true in, you, in your case. Now, some of you may not have children. This is advanced, this is advanced preparation for you. And some of you have long past have your children. You can just say amen. There's five things that you can do. First of all, determine whether your child is being childish or sinful. If your child is going up to you and saying, you daddy, and they got that demon look in their eyes, that's probably sinful. Now, if they're coloring on the paper and it gets on the table, that's just childishness. That's not worthy of a spanking. You just have them, natural consequence, clean up the crayon marks on the table. 
Now, if it is a sinful thing and there is defiance, then second, you teach them through it. I can remember Joshua. We'd say Joshua. He had an obsession with the television set. And he would want to turn it on and off and on and off, on and off. So we'd say, Joshua, don't touch the television. And he would just look at us and look at the television and go right over and pop right on. That was simple behavior. So we would give him a little spanking. We'd say, Joshua, why did you do that? I don't know. Joshua, what did mommy and daddy say? Don't tell, touch the TV. What is it when you touch the TV? Just obedience. It was something like that. I think he knew the word because he heard it enough from our house. So you teach them through it. And then you do spank them. And you do it in a way. I, we prefer not to use our hand. We use our old favorite friend, Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker, just a little sting on the butt. This brings trauma for my daughter right here because she's seen it many times. Keep it as a Bible uh, bookmarker. It fits right in your back pocket, over your visor. It, it works really well. <laughs> After the spanking, we give our children time to reflect. We want them to reflect and think about what they've done, and then we complete it. Step five is bring restoration. You always want to affirm that you love them and tell them that daddy doesn't like to spank, but he does it because he loves them. Mommy loves them. My friends, you say, well, that takes time. Yes, discipline, parenting takes time. But I can promise you this, that if the people in the John Hopkins study uh, disciplined using these biblical guidelines, I think they would have different findings in their study. Truth number 13 goes along with this, and it is this. The goal of parenting is wise children. Now, for those of you that have teenagers, wouldn't you say amen to that? Man, I want wise children. Take a look at verse 15. It says, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. It's a parent saying, "Woo, man, I want to see wisdom in you. Most, my inmost being will be exalted when your lips speak what is right. Oh, man, when my kids were teenagers, I just wanted to hear them say the right things. I wanted them to do the right things. Here's the deal. These two verses give us the motivation as parents to diligently raise our kids with love and discipline. And when we do, they will grow up, hopefully, to have wisdom. They could reject it, but we want to do the work to, to, for them to have wisdom. Now, there are times that we see a young adult, 19, 20, 21, we see them in their car, they're all down, we look like they've just come out of a death assembly, and we look at them and we say, how did they get there? We look at that and we say, think, no parent ever thought, oh, I hope and pray my baby looks like that someday. We don't do that. Here's the deal. If we're not intentional with our kids, they will be guided by others. Now, let me say this as a, as a caution. There are many Christians who have provided loving, supportive discipline to their kids, and yet your kids have rebelled. Here's my message to you. Number one, it's not your fault. Stop beating yourself up because 
your kid has chosen that path. Stop beating yourself up. It's not your fault. I wish that there was a clear formula that we could plug in and that it was guaranteed that our kids would turn out this way, but that is not true. And here's the second thing I want to remind you. The story is not over yet. The story's not over yet. Never, 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 never give up or let go. And I'm there right now. I'm just being honest. And I will never, never let go of my son. Never. I will pray. I will be as close as I can to my boy. And I will try to love him. I'm not going to enable, but I am going to love. Stay close. Truth number 14 goes along. This kind of is the, the, the third thing about parenting. And it says, bad company corrupts. Take a look at verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners. You're going to hear that again in a moment. But continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Now this verse brings the battle into view for our kids and for parenting because it brings us into the idea of sinners or bad company that can lead our kids down the wrong path. Parents, if you feel that you are being a little overbearing by screening your kids' friends, your kids will not die. That's your parental responsibility. Now, if you're hiring a private investigator, maybe you've gone a little too far. But we are to try to shelter and to shepherd our kids as much as possible. And it's a delicate act between not holding on so tight and not having holding on at all. So it's not, it takes the wisdom of Solomon for us to parent wisely. But there are times that we just need to come along and shelter. I can remember when my daughter, Sarah, was 16 or 17, and there was a boy that was coming around. They often came around, and they're snipping around the honeycomb, and they're just trying to, you know, my, my daughter, she's just I think, beating the bees off all, all the time. But there was a young man that, who came from a godless home, and I, I, I could sense that there was a tug of war with my daughter. There was a tug of war with this boy, and I said, Sarah, do you want me to tell you that you're not allowed to date this young man? To which she said, yes. And I said, don't worry. Dad will be the bad guy. I'll be the bad guy every time to protect my kids. Here our passage says that we need to look up and we need to look out. We look up by looking at God. It says in the passage, continue in the fear of the Lord. That's what we want our kids to, uh, to think about. What does God think about this relationship? But we want them to look out as well. It says there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. It is a future that is built on us being bound to Christ. What is the future going to look like with this individual? Will they take me down the wrong path? We have to guide our kids through bad company. Truth number 15 is a whole different realm in and of itself. It is to live self-controlled lives. Take a look at verse 19. 
Hear my son and be wise and direct your hearts in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber, slumber will clothe them with rags. Now this truth is so vital because what God is saying for those that are followers of his is that he wants us to live self-controlled. Why? He wants us to live self-controlled lives because God is a God of order. God is a God of self-control. And God wants for us what he himself is. And so he wants us to live that out. And so in this passage, he brings out two areas back then and, ba- and now that people got out of control. They got out of control in terms of alcohol, and they got out of control in terms of eating. Now, I've heard a lot of messages over the years about the evils of alcohol. I've seen fat preachers get up and pound the podium about the evils of the devil's juice. And, uh, and then right after that message, they probably went to Wendy's. They pounded down a 2,400-calorie Baconator with French fries and a Diet Coke. Now, I want you to know there's hypocrisy in all of that. Here's what we need to know. Food is not evil. Gluttony is. Wine is not evil. Drunkenness is Actually, we are told that both food and wine are a gift from the Lord, Deuteronomy 7.13. And in the case that there are some people that still think that, that the wine that the Bible speaks of is grape juice, please know that you cannot get drunk on grape juice. You can't. You can get real sick, but you're not going to get drunk. Isaiah 122 says that diluted wine is a picture of hypocrisy, so that when the Bible speaks of wine, we know that it's talking about fermented drink. It is this drink that the religious leaders confronted John or Jesus and said, John the Baptist, he came and he didn't eat bread and he didn't eat, uh, he didn't drink wine. But you and your disciples, you're both eating and drinking. What is God getting to in the Old Testament and the New Testament? He's getting to self-control, moderation, that we would live in a self-controlled, disciplined way. Now, I want you to know if you're under, eight, if you're under 21, you're, you have to show self-control by abiding by the law because the law says you can't drink. This is what he wants us to understand, self-control. Truth number 16 goes to another different area. It is that we need to learn from an older generation. Now, if you are older, please perk your ears up because this is a good thing for you. This is, what you, this is how you should be treated. Listen to your fathers, verse 22, who gave you life. You ever hear your father say, I brought you in the world, I could take you out? This is what he's talking about. The father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He whose father is a wise son will be great, uh, glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let, him, let her who bore you rejoice. See, these verses give us the source of great wisdom in our life that we need to tap into. And that's namely the older generation, our parents and our grandparents. See, we live in a day and age, we live in a day and age where having, following the advice of the older is kind of outdated. We think that they have old ideas as if our ideas are 
the best. We want to just kind of shoo them off and say, go, go live at the villages down in Florida. What a shame. Because what our passage is telling us is in the context here of learning from the older, we need to actually buy truth and do not sell it. What's he saying? Buy truth and do not sell it. In other words, he's saying we need to do all that we can to seek out every drop of wisdom from those that have been through life. And as a result of that, the passage says that there will be joy. It says here that they will rejoice, be glad, be glad, rejoice. See, in the New Testament also, we're told the same thing. In the book of Titus, we're said that the older should teach the younger. And so we have this, uh, this training system that God has developed that we need to have. I want you to know, as a church, we need to do a better job at this. In the fall, we're making some corrections on our community groups. And one of the corrections that we want is to infuse this change of having older have influence on the younger. Now, you're going to find out how that's going to take place later on. I just want you to know that we want to do a better job at this. Truth number 17. Avoid the snare of sexual sin. Look at verse 26. My son... Give me your heart and let your eye observe my way. For a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the, the traitor among mankind. Now, the, wise, the, the, the people that were writing this, Solomon included, are basically saying, I want two things from you. There's two things that you actually need to guard. You need to guard your heart. You need to guard your eyes. Now, if we think about it, we can understand that if we just observe the world that we live in. Think about it. We live in the perfect storm that is brewing around us that is a sexual world. First of all, we have a lot of lonely people in this world, and they're searching for significance in relationships. And truth be known, some of us might be in that category. Number two, every single person has a God-instilled sexual desire that's meant by God's design to be fulfilled within marriage, but the enemy is always going to tempt us to do it outside of marriage. Third, we have a world that is a candy shop of emotional and visual temptations. Number four, we live in a prevailing culture where anything goes. Everything goes whether it's affairs, whether it's being swingers, whether it's having open relationships, whether it's sexting, whether it is Snapchatting images, whether it is a million other forms of sexual deviance, this is what we are faced with in our culture. In Solomon's day, prostitution was the biggie. And this was what led to the deep pit or the robber. But in our society, it is D, all of the above. And what God says to each and every one of us, what you need to do if you are a God-fearer, if you are a follower of Christ, you need to guard the heart. You need to guard the eye. You have to take specific steps. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, guard the heart because it is the wellspring of life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He says, the eye 
is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Truth number 18. Don't get drunk. It reveals your character. Take a look at 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who is complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eye? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try and mix wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like the serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. They struck me, you say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. See, the truth here is not just about alcohol abuse, but it's about character. See, the, when, when he starts his wise staying, he starts with the problems that people have. He says, woe and sorrow. He's talking about emotional problems. He says, strife and complaining. He's talking about the social problems that we have. He says, wounds and redness of eyes. He's talking about physical problems that we have. The issue here is how do we deal with the problems that we have? Clearly in this passage, the individual is turning to alcohol abuse as a solution to their problems. And as a result, they are losing control. Our passage says that they see strange things, hallucinations. Our passage says the one who lies down in the midst of the sea. When you lie down in the midst of the sea, what do you do? You're rocking. When you're drunk, you're rocking. You're dizzy. They struck me, but I was not hurt. They're numb to feeling. See, a person of character is not going to turn to alcohol for their solution. A person of character is always going to turn to the Lord and to the Lord's people to handle these problems. The fact is we're all going to have problems in our day. We're going to face them. If we're not facing them now, we'll face them tomorrow. And what we need is each other. Guys, that's why we're having community groups. That's why we break it down in that way so that we can be there for our troubles. Truth number 18 is hate what is evil. Take a look at verse 1 and 2 of 24. Be not envious of evil men. We've heard that before nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. Now, since this truth is close to truth number 14, I'm not going to say much other than sin is pleasurable. It is pleasurable and very appealing, and that's the reason why we want to do sin. We want to go to it, and we have a propensity or a leaning towards always being drawn to what is wrong, to what is sin. And what this wise person is doing is he's trying to rip the veneer off of sin and to show the ugliness that is behind it and the evil, because that's what the enemy wants. Truth number 20, pursue God's good life. And this is our last principle. Verse 3 and 4 says this, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled. 
Now, these two verses give us the secret to the good life. And just as in Solomon's day, as in our day, there are people that are searching for the good life. And what Solomon does is he uses terminology of what people typically look for. They look for a house, and they want to put a lot of things in that house. But if you look closely, that's not what Solomon is saying. He says it is actually just the opposite of that. The secret is a house that is what? Built on wisdom. And it is rooms filled with the precious and pleasant riches of knowledge. My friends, the good life has nothing to do with things, but it has everything to do with God. Let me ask you, how many hours are we going to spend on things? How much do we need to go into debt in order to discover that things will never satisfy you? You buy them and they will never thank you. They'll never say you are awesome. They're not going to they're, they're not going to pay you back. In fact, they're going to break down. A new car will only last as long as you have the new car smell, and a toddler with a sippy cup can arrange and take care of that good new car smell in a heartbeat. These things will never last. Here's what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says in terms of what our proper investment should be. It says this, through these, and he's talking about in the context of God's divine power and his knowledge, through these, God has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Get that. Participate in his divine nature. We get to become like God. We get to become holy. We get to become righteous by participating in his knowledge and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, which means a lot of heartache is avoided church i want us to be reminded that god wants the good life for us as individuals and he wants a good life for us as a church but it doesn't come easy it doesn't it takes a lot of work to do all the principles that we're taught we talked about and it takes a lot of work for us to have a good life as a church in fact we're told in ephesians chapter 4 that scripture tells us that it takes work to build the unity of the Spirit. As we close our service today, I'd like to talk to you about where we are as a ministry and an important decision that the elders have made this past week. We began, let me give a little history. We began in September of 2013. We began with a team of enthusiastic eager, optimistic, risk-taking, hard-working individuals who all had the desire to reach out to our community for Christ. I want you to know the majority of the elders, the majority of the deacon, majority of the staff, they're still with us, still with that eager desire to see that happen. Now, since that, since that time, we've learned a lot. You know, we're 23 months old We've learned to wobble, we've learned to walk, we've learned to stumble along. And if you've been with us, you know that we've made plenty of mistakes. We're very open about that. 
We've learned a lot about our culture, our community, and we've learned a lot about ourselves. Recently, the elders have spent time evaluating where we are as a ministry. And that's, that's not always an easy process, but we did. And we've come to realize that we as a church, we have two different approaches that we're taking in this ministry. We're, Pastor Brian, he, will hold, he holds to more of an attractional model or approach. And I, uh, I hold to uh, more of a missional approach as a, uh, as a leader. And I want you to know, Brian's not wrong. I'm not wrong. Neither of these models are wrong. And they don't, they're not filled with doctrinal faults. But both of them can be used to advance God's kingdom. They really can. But when both are being done in the same body, then it can create confusion within the church. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't know. What do you mean by attractional? What do you mean by missional? Let me give you a definition and give you an example. Uh, a, an attractional model would be embraced like someone like Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley does an unbelievable work down in Georgia. They have multiple campuses, and they are an attractional model. Willow Creek would be an attractional model. Now, here, the Sunday morning experience, the primary focus is evangelism. There's no apologies in this model that, that the focus is on evangelism. And so when people come into a church like that, they want to, uh, they, the leaders want to build it so that people can come and hear. It's catchy. There's a little bit more on the performance side. It's culturally relevant. There's often songs that, uh, secular music that people can identify that do not know Christ. And it's interesting. And it also has kind of a talk that will help people into, usher people into the word. There's a heavier value on the environment, visual, lights, sound, comfort. This is the more of the attractional model. Now, you can probably Google the difference of attractional and missional, and you can probably get a much deeper uh, definition of both of these. Now, the missional, here's what you need to know. The primary focus on Sunday morning is worship. A missional model might be embraced by someone like Matt Chandler, or Tim Keller, if you're familiar with these ministries. And the focus is on worship. And so when we come in, what we want is people to engage into worship. We want them to experience time in God's Word so that they can become discipled and be encouraged in service and sacrifice. And the emphasis is going to be for you to live out vocationally uh, having your core, your circle of responsibility in the world. You are the attractional person in this model to go out and to share that on Sunday morning. Again, hear me. Both models are good models. But in order for us to go forward without a conflicting approach to ministry, the elders have made a decision that they want to make a complete commitment to the missional approach. In doing so, Pastor Brian has agreed to move on in order to help Mission View realize with greater clarity its ministry and allow him to be a part of a ministry in the future that will more align with where he is at. 
Now, at this time, I'd like for Pastor Brian to come and to share with you uh, from his heart. Pastor Brian. So a year ago, um, our team looked a little bit different, and Mitch, who was our worship pastor, and Nick, who was our student pastor, and I, we sat down with Steve, and there was just a restlessness, there was just a, a certain level of frustration about where we were as a ministry. And a couple days after that, I, I met with the elders, and I, I looked at the elders, and I said, if I'm, what's, if I'm what's hindering Mission View, if I'm what's holding it back, I'm willing to get out of the way. And that's a message that I've reiterated throughout the course of the past year. And Steve and the elders have, have come to the conclusion that I need to go. And so, um, so today we say goodbye. We, uh, we love you guys. We love this ministry. Um, somebody asked me recently, do you regret it? And, and not at all. The friendships, the love that, that, we've, that we've built, the, the impact that so many of you have in our family, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I don't know what's next for us, um, but, but it was clear that, uh, that we needed to go. So that's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm just reminded of, of how, how lucky and how, how blessed I, I am to, to get to do this for a living. I want to say thank you because you, uh, you literally put food on my table and a roof over my wife and I's and my, my two boys' heads. I've uh, had the opportunity here to, to spend the last year of, of ministry with, with my best friend, five years guy I admire so much who's willing to take time off work just to drive up here to support us today and be here. Thank you. My wife. I'm not always an easy man to love. I know that catches you all by surprise. And I'm certainly not easy to live with. Thank you for your support and your love. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go grab our boys now out of children's ministry, and uh, we're going to head into the commons. And if you have time, we'd love, to, we'd love to tell you goodbye. Thanks. I know that's not an easy announcement for anybody to hear, and it's not, easy for, it's not an easy process for the elders to walk through that. It's, uh, it's very difficult. I want you to know that the church still goes on. I'm reminded that it is Christ who builds the church. We're told in Matthew chapter 16, he says, it's upon this rock that I will build my church. He will, and he continues to do that. There is a future for Mission View. There is a bright future. I want you to know there's a bright future for Brooke and Brian. There is. And I want you to know that in love, what we're going to do, and we've agreed upon this with Brooke and Brian and as elders, 
We have developed a plan to help take care of them. They're not being cut off. We're going to lovingly support them through the process of them getting into the ministry that they align with the best. And so this is a process that we are, are going to be doing. And you can help by continuing here, by continuing to pray for Brian and Brooke and continuing to pray for this ministry. Now, I know some people have lots of questions, and we can't do justice in the last few minutes to be able to just lay out uh, all the answers to your questions. But what we've done is our elders and deacons, they know what's going on. They can answer your questions. And we know that some of you don't even know who all the elders and deacons are in our ministry. And so they have lanyards on today. Um, and so if you have a question, I want you to pull them aside. If you, if you have a concern, if there's something that you want to share, we want to process this with you. You can't have somebody that's been a part of our body for two years and it not affect who we, uh, it cannot uh, not affect us as individuals and as a church. And so we want to help you in the process of that. Our elders are united, our deacons are united, and, and we're going to work towards this and in a way hopefully that is completely honoring to the Lord. Guys, we're truthful. We don't hide things. We don't. There's, there's nothing, no demon behind a bush somewhere. There's not. We're just trying to be as honest as we can about where we're at. I'd like to close our service and pray for Brian and Brooke. And maybe you would see it that you would pray for them when you are with them in the, in the comments. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us as a church as we strive for the unity of the body. I pray, Father, that you would be with Brooke and Brian. I pray that you would be their encouragement. I pray that you would help them through the things that they are facing. And I pray, Father, that you would do what's right by them. I pray, Father, that you would help them, guide them, and direct them. And Lord, I I pray that you would continue to grow this ministry. I thank you for Christ being the center of this ministry. And I pray, thank you that you have given good, godly leaders in this ministry. And I know that there are going to be some that may not understand the circumstances, but they trust their leaders. And so I pray that you would help everybody as we process through what's going on. Help us to listen to you as our life coach. Help us to apply the things that we learned today. And I pray that you would help us to embody Christ in our daily living. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen. Good morning, and keep your mission in view.